Okay, and we are live. Thank you and welcome everyone for coming on to listening to the Remarketing Podcast. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Scott Slachter, and in this podcast, we focus on uh, tech, real estate, uh, business and business leadership and systems. Uh, today, I am very happy to welcome uh, Timothy Croak, who is the president and founder of Croak Asset Management, which is an independent RIA fiduciary firm. Is a 40 years experience in the financial services industry, and his team has a, a combined experience of over 50 years. They've helped over 1,000 households on their journey to financial freedom. Tim is uh, focused on and geared towards um, going beyond a one-size-fits-all approach to helping people develop their, their financial goals and getting into those uh, that financial freedom that we're all looking for. He's also the author of a book called The Light, A Guide for Living Life with Awareness, Honor, and Purpose. Tim, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thanks, Scotty. It's really very uh, nice to be here and to be, to be part of your program. I think it's a really interesting time. Okay, so we usually like to start off with you giving our audience a little bit of background about you and how you got into financial services and, and things of that nature. So would you like to share some about yourself? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I was born, raised, and still live in Toledo, Ohio. And uh, if you don't know where that is, we, we are uh, right in the middle of Detroit, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and Chicago. And so it's a, it's a great city, great part of the country, uh, very proud to be part of Ohio. And, uh, and interestingly, the, the busiest east-west road in the country and the busiest, busiest north-south road in the country intersect in Toledo. And oh, so wow. it's, uh, yeah, it's really a great community. All right, great. And, and so what it says here is that you specialize specifically in 1031 DST exchanges. Uh, I came across that early on in learning about real estate, uh, but do you mind explaining for people what that is who might not have that experience? Sure, yeah, let me kind of go from a treetop view down to the, because uh, my firm is involved in the total financial planning area. So. Uh, we, we get involved in absolutely everything. Uh, we run our own portfolios. Uh, we, we're an RIA, which means that we're a fiduciary firm. So everything is fee-based and it's transparent. And so, we, you know, we don't work with commissions. Uh, there's nothing hidden. And, uh, and it just, it comes to be that uh, everyone sooner or later needs something that we do. And uh, one of those areas is real estate that, you know, that really should be part of everyone's portfolio, but it's a very select area. And, and every investment uh, vehicle that you've got has got its own set of pros and cons. And real estate, for example, you know, tends to make a lot of money, um, but because it, it's based on both growth and income uh, and some tax benefits, uh, the problem with real estate is it, it tends to not be very liquid. And but anybody that's paying attention knows that real estate and the stock market are kind of the big production areas in, in the investment world. And uh, with with many investors, uh, a lot of them want to get into individual real estate where they're going to manage it. So they're going to buy a commercial office building or apartment buildings or something, manage it, which means they're going to find the renters. They're going to collect the rent. They're going to do the maintenance, you know, and the whole bit. And so. Uh, there's a, an aspect to the law that says if you want to sell appreciated property, uh, you can do so uh, without a tax obligation because normally you'd pay tax on the gain when you sell it. 
but you'd have the ability to, uh, to basically sell it and roll that money over on a tax-free exchange as long as it goes into other kinds of real estate. And so uh, where we come in is for that investor that, that first of all wants to or needs to sell their real estate holdings, um, and, uh, but they don't wanna pay tax on the gain. And uh, you know, to do that, um, they're either gonna have to find another piece of real estate themselves, or they're gonna come to someone like me uh, who uses large national syndicated deals uh, you know, that they can put money into. And there really is two reasons to, to seek me out. Number one is that uh, there's no product available for them on a, uh, on a local basis. Um, and that's the case right now. And it's the reason why my firm is so incredibly busy. Uh, with the real estate markets booming, there's just not a lot of real estate available to buy unless you're willing to pay a real premium for it. And, and so th those people who uh, want to stay in real estate are turning to me because we're using these large national firms that, that are, quite frankly, uh, better shoppers and buyers in the real estate market than just doing it individually. Uh, the second investor is the one that says, man, I am tired of real estate. I, I'm tired of finding renters, uh, worrying about collecting rent, doing the maintenance, you know, and all of the upkeep. And I want to change my, uh, my real estate outlook uh, from managing it myself to uh, just having a, a mailbox relationship where, you know, my job as an investor is to just go out into my mailbox and pick up a check. And so it's really both of those people that, that are seeking us out. And when you move money from the, the old real estate program to the new real estate program, if you do it right, then that is done without paying taxes on that transaction. Okay, so um, I just out of curiosity, is, are you guys uh, involved in doing things very similar to like invest, like real estate investment trusts, or is it a different? Sure. Yeah, no. I, I, I uh, in the the syndicated real estate investment world, uh, the real estate investment trust is a pretty broad category, and you know there's a lot of things that fit in that. But um, to uh, put money into, it's called a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust uh, okay. Program. And that just means that it is eligible for a 1031 exchange. That's the IRS section that allows these tax-free exchanges. So the programs that you buy into, the DSTs, are very similar to REITs, the way that REITs are, are structured. Okay, great. And so um, just out of curiosity, like, what do you think is the big pusher or why real estate is so hot for, I guess you would say a retailer or a passive investor? Like, what is the, the main pro that they typically see like when you have a client come to you? Yeah, well, um, first of all, real estate is always hot. Um, you know, I think that there's an awful lot of investors that they like the bricks and mortar aspect. They, they like something that is tangible that they can invest in. And when, when you've got a very strong economy, which we do, uh, having that kind of tangible property is going to be a, a very nice commodity to own in your portfolio. So it's going to be pretty popular. And it just so happens that the, uh, the, the demand, you know, with a combination of things, strong economy, mm -hmm. uh, relatively low interest rates, you know, over the past couple of years, you know, have uh, created that interest where a lot of people want to have real estate. And in many sections of the country, uh, especially the Midwest, the real estate values have been very low comparatively. 
And so okay. what we're finding is a lot of investors, um, specifically from the coast, from the east and west coast, uh, where real estate has been booming for a long time, their prices are very high, and they're looking for opportunities. So they're buying a lot of properties in the Midwest uh, where those prices have been low and they, they feel that they can find values. And so that, that, that demand externally has created uh, price increases that have been you know, very rapid and significant. Okay, and you were talking about earlier about there being like certain hot topics surrounding real estate. What are the, the top, I guess, three or four that you think are the hottest topics going on right now? Yeah, it, you certainly um, the uh, the whole 1031 exchange uh, program is the hottest topic out there right now, um, just because uh, we have an aging investor population uh, that those aging investors want to get out of being uh, having real estate that is actively managed. Mm -hmm. And so most people do not know that they've got the ability to sell out of their real estate holdings and not pay tax on that gain. And um, so typically, again, what happens is that that real estate investor, instead of you know paying a lot of tax, they're going to roll it over to a program like ours that that is actively managed. And uh, right now, there is a uh, a law in the estate tax rules that that say upon death, uh, you are going to get a stepped up basis on the date you die of of uh, appreciated real estate holdings. So what does that mean? Uh, that means that, that if my father, for example, has got real estate uh, that he has got no basis in, and mm -hmm. so he's got a building for a million dollars, and if he sells it the day before he dies, then he would pay tax on that entire million dollars. Okay, okay, wow. Yet yet if he's holding it when he dies, and I inherit it, and I sell that building the next day, I sell it for a million dollars and don't pay tax on any of it. Okay, Okay, and so the, the combination of using real estate for those 1031 exchanges and then keeping uh, those programs until the date of death, which, which means that they're continuing the income, you know, so it's a very nice retirement income for them, but then uh, letting their heirs inherit it uh, means that uh, there's no tax paid at all on that appreciated real estate. So those are pretty hot topics. Yeah, that's, that's so, how long has the 1031 exchange been around? Like I said, I know when I jumped in, I, I, that was one of the first things I heard of for deferring your taxes off to later on, uh, but I don't know how long it's been around for. Yeah, it, it's been around since the early 90s. It's a long-term program. And, and this is not a surprising thing. Uh, those of us in the wealth management business uh, know that the, um, the opportunities for wealthy investors are much greater than the opportunities for investors who are not wealthy. And so to do a 1031 exchange, um, you need to be an accredited investor, okay? which means you need to have a financial net worth of a million dollars or more. And so it's, it's you know, part of that uh, the thing that the rich get richer, you know, but uh, these type of opportunities are available for the people that, uh, that do have that kind of money. All right. And so one thing I've been reading about recently was that there were some changes that sh might be coming down the line or have already started regarding this type of exchange. Have you seen any of that? And if so, uh, what yeah, kind we, of changes are happening right now? Yeah, well, there's been talk forever that 
that the government is going to eliminate uh, 1031 exchanges um, so that you're not going to be able to roll, roll real estate tax-free from one program to another. Uh, there's also been uh, discussion that they're going to eliminate the stepped-up basis of death. Um, I'm also very involved in the, the energy business. Uh, when you invest in oil and natural gas, you get a tax deduction right off the top of your taxes uh, for up to 90% of the amount that you invest and it's never recaptured, you know? So for example, if you invest $100,000 into a 401k, uh, you deduct it today, but then you pay tax on it plus the growth when you take it out sometime tomorrow. But with oil and natural gas, you deduct it today and then it's an income stream and, and you never pay uh, tax on, you know, that amount that you, uh, you deducted. Um, they're also talking about what do we do with that, that uh, tax benefit for oil and natural gas? Uh, and those discussions always take place, um, especially in economic times where we've got a lot of debt and we've got a lot of national expenses. Uh, and so we're looking at those tax laws and the legislation all the time. Uh, there has been nothing about it uh, recently except the initial discussions. So uh, the, the people in the business, most of my peers don't think that, that any of that legislation is gonna get pushed through at all. And the other thing you want to realize is that most of our legislators are wealthy uh, and they are taking advantage of these type of programs, you know, and so, you know, whether they're going to pass those laws to, to penalize themselves financially, I, I don't think is going to be very likely. No, I, I don't think so either, unless they already have a backup plan that they're going to write into the legislation that they can take advantage of themselves. Yeah, I don't, I don't see yeah. them changing any of that. Yeah, and it might be a law that they're going to change it, but but existing programs are grandfathered in, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that could always be too. So you, you don't really know. But all we know is, is we've got to make our planning decisions based on what the laws are today. Yeah, definitely. And when you're when you're working with your clients, do you focus mainly or, or solely on real estate or do you diversify with them or like what is your strategy when you work with someone? Yeah, no, yeah, no, we take a look at everything. Uh, okay. You know, everything is from a total top-down approach. So, uh, we we talk about estate planning, their uh, their life, disability, and long-term care insurances, uh, everything in their investment portfolio. Again, uh, eighty percent of the money that we we manage, we manage through our own portfolios, uh, and so we are analyzing those and we're making moves on them all the time. Uh, with the intent that through our analytics and, and through watching where the markets are, we are continuously downshifting from uh, sectors that are overvalued towards sectors that are undervalued. And uh, it, the power of that is that it, it, we should have the boat rise when the tide is high, uh, but rise a little bit more because of people dealing with us. And when the tide is down, then they're going to be down a little bit less for dealing with us, you know, because we're, we're on top of those moves. Uh, it's that other 20% that, you know, involves uh, real estate uh, individual programs like DSTs or, or oil or what have you. Um, but everything that we do is a, is a total planning thing. And so if we're going to do DSTs, it is going to be part of a much larger picture with a client's total planning in mind. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's so important to, to take everything at a, a, I guess, like a client by client basis or step by step because everyone's financial circumstances are a little different. Their income level is different. 
uh, their expendable income is different as well. Um, I know with real estate, one of the biggest barriers to entry for the average working class person is that you need large amounts of capital to buy an investment property versus maybe doing something like a REIT where you don't have to put nearly as much in because it's, you're only supplying a portion of what the trust needs to, to go out and syndicate their deals. Yep, that, that's the power to REITs all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's think here. Is there a, an opinion you have in financial planning that you find to be unpopular with your peers? Something that um, you think that maybe some other people might disagree with you about? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, not really. I, I think you you would find, first of all, mo most of my peers in agreement that uh, you can't time the market. Uh, the, the guys that are doing day trading uh, and that are trying to time the market uh, are not very successful over a long period of time. Uh, you know, if you go to a casino in Vegas, uh, you might win for a day or two. But if you play long enough, the casino is going to get their money back. Absolutely. And so, you know, rule number one is you want to stay in the game. and You want to get competent advice. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of commission guys out there that, you know, they like things that we're not very wild about, to be honest, but they're the ones that drive more commissions. And uh, in our world where you're a fiduciary, you're an RIA, um, you know, we don't care necessarily what you invest in as long as it's part of the overall plan. Uh, we're going to make the same regardless. And uh, we use an asset management fee so that uh, we're all on the same side of the table. You know, we, we all want your money to grow. If it does, you're happy. We make more money, you know, so uh, if you win, we win. Uh, but the real things about financial planning are, are they're psychological, they're not financial. Okay. And uh, you, you want to conquer the, the psychological aspect of um, uh, building money, you know, having a, a savings plan to accumulate, uh, sticking with the plan through the highs and lows. And for goodness sake, don't let the emotional factors weigh into those decisions. We all have a certain amount of greed in our heart and fear mm -hmm. in our heart. And you don't, you know, we, we make decisions empirically. Everything is based on the analytics and the numbers, not the emotion. And so we need to, to divorce our emotions and our ego from our financial decisions. And I think an awful lot of, of people that are in my business, in my position, um, they, they try to use fear and greed to sell people. Uh, and uh, I think that's really where the, where the biggest problem in our business lies. Yeah, I think that's investing across the board as well. I noticed I started early on in the stock market to put some of my extra cash in there. And I was actively just buying and selling. And I made a lot of emotional decisions when I saw it go down. Uh, yeah, you absolutely have to have either get the education or have someone in your corner who's making their decisions based off of their uh, based off of the numbers and the analytics. There's a, a really good Warren Buffett quote that I like. He said, "The stock market is just a tool that transfers wealth out of the hands of the inpatient and delivers it into the hands of the patient." Yeah, 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 and that's really it. And you know, uh, Buffett is really good, and his deal is, you know, when other people are celebrating is when you want to sell and when other people are in despair is when you want to buy mm -hmm. and uh and you, you do you just want to kind of keep that, that emotional end out of it um the decisions that we make in our portfolios uh, is based on that, that company analytics what are, what are the earnings of these companies you know because what you know is that that every company 
in this country is geared towards making more money. That's why they're in business. Mm-hmm. And w- when you know what their earnings are, and you, you know what the ratio typically is between their earnings and their price, then it gives you a very good judgment of uh, where that price is compared to where it should be. And so we, we, in our process, are just in the business to be able to, first of all, identify that. And the businesses that have got a higher price than what it should be, we're going to de-emphasize. Okay. And the businesses that have got a lower price, we're going to emphasize. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Uh, that's something that I've read as well when I started looking up investing was to find where there are gaps in the market where things are undervalued. That's the best entry point. And then when things are overvalued, it's the best thing. If you have it, sell it. You know, if you don't, stay away from it. Go for the things that are are undervalued. But I can't emphasize to our listeners enough how important it is to not try to do any of this on your own and get the right advisors and the team on your side that have the education, the experience like yourself. Um, is there any advice that you would give to someone just starting out? Like say they're like, hey, I want to start investing and building my my savings up to have passive income later on. Uh, what would be one of your biggest pieces of advice for them to get started? Yeah, well, uh, the, the best advice is to get started. And, and you know, okay. in this day and age, the, the, the technology is out there so much that you either need to be an expert or you need to find an expert. Yeah. And, you know, very few people are going to be able to do this on their own. You know, we work at this eight hours every day. You're not going to be able to compete with us, you know, in terms of the, the information and the judgment and perspective that we're generating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you want to do it for fun and as a hobby, great. But if you want to make progress, you, you need to come to somebody like us to do that. Um, but uh, the, the successful um, you know, process of investing is based on putting money in uh, on a continuous basis without taking it back out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean about the psychological end. The return that you're getting doesn't matter as much as the systematic methodology of putting money in and putting money in and putting money in and making that a consistent part of your life. And if you do that, you will find that the progress and the results that you get are going to be well worth the effort. And so in that planning, we want to make sure that we have got an approach that is disciplined without Mm -hmm. being sacrificial. Okay. Okay. And so we, we don't want to cause anybody angst you know, from their investment program, but we do want to go about it in a disciplined nature. And that's really powerful. The discipline part I really like because it's, it goes in alignment with every wealth building principle that's out there is it takes consistent and disciplined effort to do the same thing every month after month. You have a certain percentage you set aside month after month. It goes into those accounts that you've set up for stable and, and consistent growth. It is. Is there a tool uh, that you use in your, your field that you feel is underrated? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, the tool is called homework. Okay. okay. And, uh, you know, yeah, people don't like that. Is out there. They don't like that. But, you know, there's just no substitute for digging in the information and really looking at it analytically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, it, it is all out there, but you've got to be able to do the work to, uh, to do it. And, um, but I also think getting control uh, of your money, knowing where it's going, making sure that, that your debt is low, uh, goodness gracious, stay away from credit cards completely or at least pay them off on a, you know, on a month by month basis. 
Uh, consumer debt is the biggest evil in society today. Um, but, uh, you know, it, having those kind of tools on your phone now that y- you can invest money, you know, just as the, the change after every transaction and, and kind of following what you're doing, being involved with that uh, emotionally as well as financially, I think is the best tool you got going. Oh, yeah, def- uh, that's that's definitely I haven't played with any of those apps yet. Like I think was Acorn that does it mm-hmm. it'll round up and then it'll take the difference. Uh, yeah. between that and the nearest dollar and then put that into an investment of your choosing. I should really get started on that. I do, however, make a consistent effort to take a percentage of my income, set it aside, and it stays. Uh, I actively invest as well in uh, real estate notes. Are you familiar with that? Yep, sure, absolutely. So that's that's why I also am a, a broker for a capital fund. I'm a registered agent broker with them, but I do some work on that side as well. Uh, doing your homework is huge. The book that I was just reading recently was talking about basing your 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 risk, I guess, assessment on a full market cycle, like going all the way back to a full up and down of the market. So you can see, and I, I don't understand all of it completely. I'm going to go back and read it multiple times uh, because this is not an area of mine that I have expertise in like yourself. Yeah. Well, you, you, can't, you can't base things based on, on a short-term look. You know, yes. they, they've got to be based on, on a longer term cycle and, you know, through all the ups and downs. But if you're rebalancing, you know, and if you're dollar cost averaging, which means you're, you're continuously selling high and buying low, you know, mm-hmm. then you're going to have much less volatility, you know, than typical. You're going to have much better results than typical. But but long term, you know, you, you want to have a portfolio that is getting you that 10 percent and, uh, you know, or even a little bit more. So I tell people, you know, gosh, if we lose 10% this year, don't jump off a bridge. And if we make 20%, don't throw a party. You know, those things are aberrations. We want to get a long-term consistent average return, right. you know, and that, that's really what we're after. But the, the power to that, especially for people who are relatively young, that you want to remember that the rule of 72 says that your money is going to double upon itself. You know, it, it, if we get 10% return, then your money doubles upon itself every seven years. Yeah. And so, so if you invest 10,000, it's not just 10, you know, in uh, that seven years, it goes from 10 to 20 and then 20 to 40, 40 to 80, 80 to 160, you know, in consecutive seven year periods. And uh, when, you, when you've got a lot of young people out there who are just starting their investment world, that compounding for them is magic but they need to stay the course. And, you know, it's not going to be a matter of guessing, well, the market's high, so I'm going to pull out and I'll wait for the market to drop. You've got to stay in the game. Yeah, definitely. You have to, uh, how, how early would you say someone, how young would you say someone should start setting their money aside and start investing? I think I know the answer yeah, to this um, one, but I'd love to hear your insight. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, yeah, as young as possible. You know, I think when yeah. anytime that you're in a job situation and, and uh, having debt, especially consumer debt, is is absolutely destructive. And so I, I really don't want people to invest money until their debt is paid off. So no credit cards, no school debt, get okay. all of that done, and then you can start um, you know, making progress. But the sooner you do, the better. And again, it's not about uh, saving or investing big numbers. It's about saving consistently. Yeah, saving consistently over time is, is very, very much one of the most important things. It's a question I ask newbie investors when we come into uh, real estate networking events and stuff like that. The first thing I usually ask them 
is the, I don't, you've probably heard of this one, like which would you rather have, $200,000 for a year or do you want one penny doubled every single day for a month? You bet. And the power of compounding. Yep. Yeah, that power, it starts off slow, but once it starts to get those bigger numbers, I mean, those, those double jumps yeah. are, they're massive. Yeah, and you know, I, the uh, part of the thing I'm very thankful for is I got very good financial guidance when I was young. And I, I came from an economic background where we were, we were lower middle class. We had six kids, all in private schools. Uh, my dad worked in a factory. My mom worked in a library to, to get all the kids through school. You know? and so we had a lot of uh, casserole and soup meals and hand-me-down clothes. But um, it teaches you that you don't really need money to, you know, or fancy cars or whatever to feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a real gift. Um, but I decided when I was 22 that I, I'm going to live till I'm 90. That's my goal. Okay. All and right. I, I, want, I, I wanted to hit 45 um, with the economic situation where I could live the second half of my life without any purse strings, you okay. know, and any problems. And, uh, and so I, I saved money at 22 when I was done with college, saved it very consistently. Uh, I'd like to think it was prudently. Uh, so that by my age 45, I was able to quit my job at a, uh, uh, an employee financial services type of company, started my own firm. Uh, my kids' college was totally paid for the day they started school. Uh, we've been able to, to literally travel all over the world uh, oh, with wow. our kids, you know. And so uh, all of the things that I am passionate about, I've been able to do, but it's because I started at a young age and was very consistent about it. Yeah, I really wish for myself that I started younger. Uh, I got into um, a different field. I was working full time as a one-on-one therapist for children with autism. And I started uh, maybe about like a couple of years back getting a high rate of burnout, uh, which is, comes with that industry. And I said, I got to get out. I got to do something different. Yeah. And so I started looking into investing. And I'm like, once I started learning some of these principles and reading up on them, I was I was like, I wish I had learned about this when I was in my early 20s because I was, I've always been a good saver. As soon as I got out into the workforce, I was saving $200 out of every paycheck every week. So about 800 a week I was putting into savings, but not investing it. And I think yeah. back on those times, like if I had invested 800 a month, every yeah. month when I was 23, 24, like that would have been a huge benefit now. Now I'd be reaping some rewards. Yeah. Um, you know, so much of our economic decisions are based on ego, though. Mm-hmm. And really, money is just a tool. And the reality to it is, is that there's two ways of making income. Mm-hmm. And one is your labor. And the second is having your money work for you. And, you know, the more money you have, the less we need you working, which means you're free to go out and follow your passions, whatever those passions happen to be, you know. And that's a wonderful gift to give yourself. Oh, for sure. Is there, so you guys traveled a lot with your family. Is there a favorite place you have that you guys went to? Uh, yeah, um, we, uh, in fact, um, uh, my son just got married uh, last weekend in Charleston, right. South Carolina as a destination wedding. And so Charles, Charleston is kind of a domestic favorite. And my daughter is getting married in two weeks in uh in italy on the amalfi coast oh wow and so uh so we've been to italy repeatedly and so that's definitely a favorite on the international scale yeah i definitely that's one of the other things that inspired me to move out of my full time into investing and 
in getting my finances in order because I've always wanted to travel. I have a whole list of countries I want to visit, Italy being on that list for sure. Um, and then I, I still love, I like Georgia. I, I lived in Georgia for a little while, so I'd love to go there. I love hiking, so I want to travel and hike. But all that, the finances need to be taken care of first so that I have the time or that, same thing with everyone else. We need to set that up for ourselves. They, they do. And I'll tell you, the, the hint that I would give is that you want to make your savings and investment program like a bill mm -hmm. um, so that you know, hey, I'm going to save this amount of money. I'm going to pay myself first mm -hmm. uh, and then spend whatever's left. And then when you do that, you can spend freely and really enjoy yourself. But you do that knowing that the financial end is already taking care of itself. And so you don't have to worry and judge every penny that is coming in and going out on, on where it's going. And I think it just, just leads a much happier life. And it lets you live well today, just very, very well tomorrow. That's, that's exactly what I want. I think that's what all of our listeners would love out of their businesses and their real estate investments. For sure. We talked about uh, how bad credit is. And I know there's a couple of methods for trying to work down your credit. Do you have a favorite or a particular strategy for someone who might have consumer debt that they're working on eliminating first? Yeah. Um, first of all, don't get consumer debt. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, definitely. the easiest thing, you know. And if you do, you know, make sure that you attack the high interest ones first. Okay. I, I know there's a lot to be said for, for eliminating the lower uh, credit amounts first, you know, because then, then you can build up. But I'll tell you, some of these credit cards are, are 18, 21, 24%. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, and you, you've got to eliminate those things. You know, you're just never going to be able to make progress until you do. So you would put it in order from highest interest to lowest and then just work on putting extra payments towards the highest first and then? I would. I, and I tell you what, uh, I would go into my couch cushions at home, whatever change I could find, I, I would put it towards eliminating that debt. That's how strongly I feel about it. Every little bit you can do to pay it down and to stay free of credit cards uh, is going to benefit you in the long run. Yeah, I've always been avoidant of using credit cards a little bit differently since I've gotten into business and had to put some business expenses, but I make sure I pay it off at the end of the month. So yeah. I use the credit card in the time in the meantime to rack up points or whatever benefits, but it's always paid off the month up. So I'm not paying any interest. Yeah, you bet. You know, if you can use debt constructively, mm -hmm. you know, where it's your advantage, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I tell people, gosh, you know, they, I get a lot of questions, should I pay off my mortgage? And, you know, if, if we invest money and we can get 10% and you're, you've got a mortgage at 3%, it doesn't make any financial sense to pay off your mortgage, you know, uh, right. with 10% money that you're only paying 3% on. And so, uh, and uh, like using some of the, the big cards that you can get a lot of points and a lot of benefits out of, man, I'm, I'm all for it because it's a great convenience and a great tool, but you just don't want to let that debt build up. It's that interest rate that'll kill you. Yeah, and one of the problems I saw, you know, I've seen in recent years is that the whole student debt crisis thing we have, a lot of people graduating college are finding it difficult to, to tackle that debt because it's so large, the interest rates are high. Um, I was grateful enough that I paid for my college in cash. I saved up, I worked for it, and I paid in cash. So I graduated college without any debt. But yeah. most of uh, most of the people graduating today are not that lucky. They're not at all. Yeah, and it's a, it's really a crisis, you know. 
And, uh, and it's just not something that I'm in favor of at all. I, I think that, man, you, you pin these kids down with massive amounts of debts before their careers even started. And mm-hmm. it's going to take them decades to be able to catch up and get ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was very grateful too. my first uh, outside of high school education was a certification training for computer programming, web design, software engineering, stuff like that. And I got out of that with 13,000 in debt and worked on paying it off before I went back to college. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I learned there was I took out 13,000 in debt and had no guarantee of any type of career after there, there were job services. Uh, the school I attended wasn't very good at that. So I kept hunting and most of them would tell me you need a bachelor's or a master's in my program to even get started. And so I'm like, okay, well now I have 13,000 in debt and not a start in the career. So am I going to add more debt onto it by continuing school? I, I wasn't comfortable with that. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a good call. Yeah, definitely. All right. And so why don't we move on to maybe some more uh, personal questions? Sure. We can learn a little about you. Our listeners can learn about, um, you know, how, kind of where you're at. So um, what is or what has been your least favorite job to date? Uh, the, the job that, that still spooks me, I, I'll give you a, a pro and a con example. Um, the, the, the con is I worked at UPS okay. uh, when I was in college and I, I loaded and unloaded trucks from four to eight in the morning in the, in the heat and the cold and the whole bit. And so the reason I still work hard today is so I don't have to go back to UPS, you know, and, um, because that, that was brutal. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, I, you, the UPS commercials used to be that they run the, the tightest ship in the shipping business. Mm-hmm. And my God, man, they did. They were, uh, it was a great company and still is, but it was just, it was brutal for me to work at. Uh, but my first job ever, um, it was the positive example. I, I worked for a little um, Hungarian restaurant in East Toledo called Luda's. Okay. And there was a, a, a chef from Hungary that ran that kitchen. And this guy was a great guy to work for. Uh, he, uh, he taught me more. Uh, he showed up early for every shift, stayed late. Uh, he sung his way through the day. And, you know, he had a great positive attitude. Uh, serving customers for him was a, it was sacred and it was a religion. Uh, and he did it with so much joy in his heart that uh, it, for a first job for me to be able to go in and work underneath this guy uh, was really a great life lesson. Yeah, that's, that's a great example, too. Like, it's a, it sets the, the stage for you working in other jobs. You brought up uh, UPS. I can very much relate to that. My first job outside of high school was for was what we call them a lumping company. I don't think they're really around anymore. But they had a contract with CVS Warehouse. So essentially, all we did was unload trucks all day, uh, sometimes from 3 a.m. to 3 p.m. And it was, it was brutal. And just like you, it, it, we had the steel containers that we had to go into and unload. So in the middle of winter, it's freezing. Middle of yeah. summer, you're drenched in sweat. Uh, it, was, it was a brutal job. And I was falling asleep when I got home every day because I was just physically exhausted. I get home at 334, yeah. muscles sore, uh, sometimes six days a week. That would probably rank as my least favorite job as well. I hate it. Uh, I don't blame you. But that's how I paid yeah. down my debt. <laughs> yep. I get it. I, I, you know, so much of that restaurant for me was that the culture that this guy established, 
You know, once everybody knew that he was going to show up early and stay late, then that became the culture. All of us showed up early and stayed late, you know, for sure. And uh, and yeah, that was just a man. It was a great work lesson for me. That's a great example of leadership, too. That's what leaders do. They show up early. They stay late. They take pride in their work. Like I've had people like that in my life that I try to model things off of as well. It's so powerful. So let me ask you, uh, if you can go back to your 18-year-old self and give your 18-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, You know, uh, that's a great question. Um, Again, coming uh, coming really from nothing, you you come into the world being hungry. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I I was in such a rush to um, get through college and to get into business and to get successful. Uh, I, I wish really I would have loosened up a little bit and had more fun <clears throat> and enjoyed okay. the journey a little bit more, you know, and um, I, I think at 18, man, so many of us take things so seriously and uh, your definition of success is different than what it is when you're 60, you know, Okay. and, um, and it really was about more of those achievements than it was about anything else. And in retrospect, what I have learned is that the true meaning of life is about your relationships and the experiences that you have, you know, and it's not about the things you've got or the money that you make. Um, you know, it, it really is about your relationships and experiences. And I wish I would have realized that younger. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh, I was a very serious teenager as well. Not my peers. My peers were much more of a party crowd. But uh, I was very serious about where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And definitely, I'm guilty of not allowing myself to have more fun than I should have. I was busy working. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Uh, okay, so what does your morning routine look like? When you get up in the day, what do you do first? Yeah, hey, it's always been the same, you know, for all these years. I'm, I'm an early riser, so I'm up every morning at 6. And I've got a, a uh, workout gym in my basement. And so I will uh, get down into the gym and work out every morning. And um, I, I've got a, a, a TV and movies and stuff set up. So I, I end up watching two movies a week, 100 movies a year. I've seen every movie that there is in the history of humanity, I think. Um, but then I, I, uh, I, when I'm done working out, I'll have breakfast. I'll, I'll read the paper and medias and, and financial news and things. And then I, I will spend a, a couple minutes, 15, 20 minutes every morning uh, in meditation, um, just right. kind of getting, getting grounded, getting aware, um, being calm, focusing on what I need to do uh, for that day to make it meaningful. Uh, and then it's up, take a shower, get dressed, get into the office. So most days I, I'm in the office at, at 8 o'clock or 8.15. Yeah, meditation is a huge one I see come up quite frequently, especially people who own and run a business Uh, just because of the mental health benefits. I've not been as consistent as I would like to be with mine. I used to be a more consistent and meditation, but it's it does help you. It improves your your overall well-being. Uh, My background when I went back to college was psychology. So I, I love the brain and the neuro stuff that comes along with meditation, your brain just functions a whole lot better, which leads to everything else in your life. Yeah, well, I think you need to be holistic in your approach, you know, and, and there's no, there's no success in the field that compensates for failure at home or with yourself as a person. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I personally think everybody should be in meditation. Everybody should be in therapy. Uh, everybody should, should have a pretty even balanced life between, um, you know, their, their financial life, their educational life, their social life, their, you know, the, the things they do for fun and encouragement. And uh, we should all be watching movies and reading or listening to mm-hmm. books on tape or something because it's what keep your mind active, you know, and, uh, and I just had a couple in, in the office last night and we had this talk um, because they were grinding, you know, mm. and, you know, they were worried about retirement. You could tell they were worried about it. And, and so many people that I have worked with and met through the years that they, they grind their way into retirement with that mm. level of worry. And then when they retire and they, they're financially in great shape, they end up getting sick or falling over with heart attacks and stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think, I think what having that balance lets you do is keeping everything into perspective where you, you're emphasizing the relationships and experiences. And uh, you know, it, it gives you that well-rounded life and, and your money becomes a means to the end of enjoying yourself. The money is not the ends itself. Yeah, it's powerful. I, I see that a lot in my own life, like the areas, you know, your, your work life, your social life, your mental health and well-being, they all overlap in some way, shape or form. So it's important to treat it as one whole system, because otherwise I'll give you an example from my own personal life where I was working in another job. I was working four 12 hour shifts a day, a week, sorry, without nine to nine, zero break. And it was starting to affect my personal life with my family. It was just affecting my finances or my financial decisions because I'm stressed. Like if you don't keep on top of every little area in your life, you know, the social, the mental, the, the professional, and you keep them in some sort of harmony, it's just, it's just going to spill over into another area. It is. It is all about the balance. So let's um, ask you some quick closing questions. This will be the closing table, we call it, because in real yeah. estate, we close deals. Um, Great. You know, we'll kind of mix the questions all together, though. Are there any books, podcasts, movies, or documentaries that you recommend our listeners check out to get a, a better background on things? Um, sure, yeah. I, everybody should watch all nine hours of Lord of the Rings every chance <laughs> they get, okay? So uh, that, that makes me nerd out a little bit. Um, but it, it's really about finding your passion and, uh, you know, whatever that happens to be and what brings that out. And and I was actually a history major in college, so I, I like things that, that are biographical in nature. Okay. And, uh, and I, I do enough financial reading where, where that is just not going to be a hobby for me. But I do like the, the biographies or the, the histories, those type of things. Uh, I think throwing in a novel every now and then, you know, with, with people who are a really good writer. Um, part of the benefit of COVID has been that all of us have been stuck at home. Well, uh, don't think that uh, that Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon Prime and those other uh, creators of content uh, have missed that fact. They know everybody's sitting around. And uh, and so th- there's a big scramble of uh, collecting talent to be able to get things on the broadcast systems that are that are binge worthy, you know, and uh, I, and I don't see that as an evil. I see that as a real blessing, man, because you get uh, you get a lot of views of the world and different kinds of writers and actors that, uh, you know, that bring, you know, special things into your life. And 
so for me, it's more a matter of being active and engaged and aware and using the different media outlets to be able to do that, including podcasts. Do you have any favorite podcasts you'd like to recommend? Yeah, um, uh, I, I, I tend to be uh, um, a, a little bit more uh, socially active. So I, I like the podcasts that, uh, um, you know, uh, favor, hey, what's going on uh, around the world and in different segments of society. Uh, and, and I actually get into business podcasts a lot because I, I just I love the engagement of the different ideas. You know, and every time I listen to one, I, I get a new idea that I want to bring back and, and work with. And uh, and it's kind of fun because I, I'm actually in business with uh, my son, Eric, as well as, as several other partners. But uh, we both listen to podcasts very actively. And so and obviously the, the genre of what we listen to is different. Um, and, but we're both listening all the time. And so it's fun for us to get together a couple of times a week and share the ideas of what we're listening to. So I'm not too much of a, a big podcast person. That's it's so important. That's what I do with my YouTube. I'm more of a YouTube rabbit hole kind of person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and most of mine center around business, mindset, psychology. When I read, people think it's funny because I don't read fiction at all. It just Oh, really? Okay. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't interest me. And for some people, like, how do you not, what, don't you do anything for fun? I'm like, this is fun. Like, I like learning. I'm obsessed with yeah. it. So I will find a book on, you know, biographies are great. I love biographies because there's no better way to shortcut your learning experience than to read through someone else's life. Yeah. And, and they give you so much information on life experience that way. It's almost as if they're telling you and giving you advice about things when you read through it. And then yeah. I'll read and like informational stuff, psychology. I'm, I'm very, very passionate about that as well. So that's really good advice. Thank you for that. Um, so last but not least, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? How can they connect with you? Yeah, sure. Um, I, we've got a website, it's Croke Asset Management, and, and our website is is CAM, C-A-M, Toledo, no dot. So C-A-M-T-O-L-E-D-O dot com. Um, and uh, that just stands for Croke Asset Management, Toledo. Or uh, if people are interested and they want to connect, just send me an email at tcroke, C-R-O-A-K, at camtoledo.com and that will get to me and, and we have got clients literally all over the country and yeah, that was the, i was going to yeah. ask do you do nationwide or just local no we, we do nationwide Excellent. and uh you know especially man with technology now you you can zoom you can visit with people and uh with with some people the, the situation calls for a face-to-face -face meeting and so oftentimes we will fly people into Toledo, you know, so they can visit our office and see what we're about. Uh, oh, and wow. we'll put them up in a hotel. We'll pay, pay for their plane ticket. And um, but, you know, it, it's very important for them to be able to meet our entire team so they know kind of what we're doing and, and be able to look underneath the hood. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, what we, we seek out relationships. We're, we're not, again, here to do a sales job. Uh, we like to work with people that are good people that have got the interest in building their, their situation. And we want that to be an ongoing process. And because of that, we want to take our time, do it right, right to begin with. And, you know, that, that really has worked out very well so far. That's, I don't know any financial service that has offered to fly out clients and put them up in a hotel so that they can be uh, interpersonally involved with the team and what they're they're investing in that's 
that's an incredible. <laughs> yeah, there's just no substitute for it. You know, there really isn't. And it, once you get to know the people, um, you know, that, that we've got, I, our team is, they're a great people, they're professional, uh, they're very caring, uh, they're very thorough in what they do and, and what our process does. And, uh, and so, man, the only way to, to get people to, to know that and feel comfortable with it is to bring them in so they can, you know, look them in the eye and shake their hand. You're right. That's, that, that connection is so important, especially when it comes to their finances. Like people are very. It, it does. Yeah, that's, that's so, so important. Uh, so we're going to, I think, close it out with that. I do want to, you know, disclaimer, I'm not an accountant or professional certified financial planner tim however is so if you'd like to reach out to them to get advice but anything we've talked about in regards to 1031 exchanges don't do anything without consulting one individually yourself so if you have one already or absolutely go to tim give him a call or contact him via email so that he could advise you independently um just want to make sure we have those bases covered so nobody goes off on yeah. their own no and we also if anybody does have an interest we have a brochure that I can email them that they oh, and, and there is some, some bells and whistles you have to do, you know, to make sure that everything stays uh, legal. And, um, yes. and so it's a little bit of a process, not too difficult, but we, we can send them off the explanation of that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. They, they would absolutely love that. Is, is there any way we could uh, post a link to the brochure maybe on the show notes? Uh, yes, we can. I will send you a link. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, Tim, thank you for joining us again. We had a great time. I loved having you on. Uh, it's so much information for our listeners and for myself to take. I actually probably will contact you when I get to that point when I'm ready for that as well, because I need a financial planner uh, for sure. That's something yeah. I've been neglecting. Uh, but again, thank you again. We'd love to have you back on again, if you'd like as well. Sometime yep, in the sure. Future. Yeah. Yep. Right. Anytime. I enjoyed our conversation. So All right. thanks, thank Scott. You. Thank you, Tim. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Yep, you got it. Yep, right. bye-bye. We're out, guys.